All right, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 4, uh, the tail end of the chapter. This is about crowns and awards. Um, you know, the hymn we sing, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. And you know the group uh, Casting Crowns, they take their name from this text we're going to look at about crowns in heaven, what we do with them. How many of you all noticed that there's many uh, ceremonies, national awards ceremonies? Um, I counted this week, there, I counted 42 national award ceremonies. There's the Academy Awards, there's the Golden Globe Awards, there's the Grammys, there's the Tonys, there's the Dove Christian Awards, there's the Voice Award, the uh, America's Got Talent Awards, there's the Soap Opera Digest Awards, <laughs> the Soap Opera Digest. Um, there's the uh, Country Music Awards. This year had Dolly Parton, Carrie Underwood, um, Reba McIntyre hosting the event. I kind of dream of the day when Zeke Arnold appears on the Country Music Awards. <clears throat> you know, if you want, you can watch these awards, you know, every week. So these awards must be pretty important because people are really motivated to get these awards. I mean, contestants on The Voice, if you've seen the show, <clears throat> are asked, what would it mean to you if you win this competition? And they'll often say, it would mean everything. I mean, typically, you know, there's not much going on in their life. They're unemployed, on drugs. And then they're on The Voice in front of now millions of people. And they'll say, like, what would, meaning, what would winning The Voice mean to you? And they say, well, it would mean everything. I'd love a contestant to say, what would it mean for you to win The Voice? And they could say, well, it could mean something. I won't lie, I'd like to win, but there's an award I'm looking forward to that I'll never get on this earth. I want to hear from the lips of Jesus, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. We've got all kinds of awards going down. There's the Heisman Trophy winner has been awarded. That's happened, the area of athletics. We get awards now for drinking coffee, for eating food, if you buy your coffee at Starbucks, you get points. If you buy your lunch at Panera, you get loyalty points for being loyal to Panera. If you buy your clothes at Macy's, you get Macy dollars. Is it too far-fetched to believe that God might give some awards out? Hmm. What do you think about heaven and what heaven is? Some say the reward for doing good is its own reward. Some say seeing the face of Jesus Getting to heaven, that beautiful, beautiful place, being with the saints will be reward enough. God, you don't have to give me any reward because you are my treasure, my greatest reward. Some say if we're living for the glory of God and the love of God, why would you ever need a reward? Some say that God offering a reward is something like parents offering candy for their children to be good. Sort of like parents giving their kids money to do good, do do well in their school. Well, the truth is, Debbie and I gave lots of money to our kids to do well in school. We bribed them all through school. <laughs> and uh, this part about giving kids candy, well, Debbie and I thought we would pick up a box of donuts to go down to see our grandkids. So we went by Dunkin' Donuts and got 12 donuts, and they ate these donuts, and they were the worst they've ever been. And I said to her, if we really love these kids, we will never buy donuts ever again for them. <laughs> Some say we should 
shouldn't be lured into goodness by bribery. Good news, goodness is its own reward. Well, the Bible never defends God's system of giving rewards. The Bible teaches that rewards are God's normal way to reward believers for what happens in this life. That we shouldn't really see anything wrong with a believer expecting rewards. So heaven, <clears throat> I've just felt compelled these last few weeks to talk much more about heaven. So why should we even care? Do you care about heaven? Some of you do. Heaven, if you're a Christian, <laughs> is where you're going to end up one day, right? I want you to be ready for where you're going. If you're going to another city, right, a place you haven't been before, you want to know something about that city. You want to know, like, what you're going to wear there, where you're going to stay there, what you're going to you know, eat when you're there, who's going to be there. Heaven is a prepared place, and I want you to get prepared to be in heaven someday. Heaven is not only a destination, heaven is a motivation. So I heard a story about an 85-year-old couple. Um, they've been married for about 60 years. And they were in pretty good health, especially the last 10 years of their life. Mainly because the wife uh, took an interest in health food. Uh, she bought all kind of health foods for her family. She, they went to the gym together. They rode their bikes. But especially this woman really learned to make uh, bran muffins. She would put these bran muffins in the oven and serve them up to her husband. And the husband really didn't care for the bran muffins, but they just ate bran muffins. And just every day they had a bran muffin. So they both died on the same day and they arrived in heaven. And at the gate of heaven, they were met by St. Peter. He escorted them to their brand new house, brand new mansion. He said to them, would you like to see your mansion? And the husband and wife said, yes. Well, it was a beautiful mansion. It was a well-equipped kitchen. It had granite countertops. It had white cabinets. All the appliances were brand new. In the house, there was a jacuzzi. There was a hot tub. Had a beautiful master um, bedroom. And the wife was ooing and aahing. And the husband said to Peter, he said, how much will this place cost? Peter said, it's not going to cost you anything. You're in heaven. This is your reward. This is your mansion. And then they looked out the backyard window, and lo and behold, it was a championship golf course. Not only was it a golf course, it changed golf courses every day. And there was no crabgrass, no out-of-bounds, just in beautiful condition. I mean, these were courses like St. Andrews and Pebble Beach and Augusta. The man had never played these places before, and he got to play golf every day. And so he says to Peter, he says, how much are the green fees? He says, you don't pay green fees in heaven. This is free. This is your reward. You get to play golf every day. Man was starting to like heaven. And Peter says, you want to come to the buffet? Buffet in heaven? He said, oh, yeah, we've got all the greatest foods. We've got Indian food. We've got Thai food our own chef. We've got Italian food. We've got ziti, lasagna. We've got Mexican food, enchiladas. We've got everything. And the man started walking around this great buffet and he said, where's the low fat, low cholesterol foods? Peter says, well, this is the great thing about heaven. You can eat whatever you want and you'll never get fat. And the old man took his hat off and he began to stomp on it. 
And Peter says, what's wrong? And the husband looked at his wife and he says, it's all your fault. If I hadn't eaten these bran muffins, I'd be here 10 years earlier. <laughs> Do you believe in heaven? Deep down, I think we all long to go home. You ever traveled overseas and been in a foreign country and longed to come home? You ever been a soldier deployed, wanting to get home? A business on business overseas, just wanting to get, see your family again? God has hardwired us for heaven. Augustine says, you have formed us for yourself, and we are restless until we find our rest in you. C.S. Lewis said that heaven is the secret signature of every soul. He says, there's been times in our life we haven't thought much at all about heaven, and there's been times when all we can think about is heaven. It's the secret signature of every soul. Hmm. There's a little boy who's flying a kite, and the kite went up higher and higher into the clouds, obscured. He couldn't see the kite at all, and somebody said, how do you know your kite is still up there? And he says, I feel its tug. Deep down, we feel the tug of heaven. It may have started when we were kids. May there be glimpses of heaven. But I'd like to talk to you this morning about heaven and its rewards. So <clears throat> if we look at the Old Testament, <clears throat> we see that rewards are a very common theme. Psalm 58, 11 says, Surely the righteous will be rewarded. There is a God who judges all the earth. To be righteous means to be in right relationship with God. We are imputed righteous when we believe that Jesus took our place upon the cross. And then the, the lifestyle of the righteous is we're doing the right thing with the right motives, and God will reward the righteous. Psalm 62, verse 12 says, Surely he will reward each person according to what he has done. The Bible's teaching us then that God is fair and God rewards us according to what we have done. That line is repeated many times in Scripture. And then we turn to the New Testament. Jesus taught, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted when men insult you and they say all manner of evil against you. For great is your reward in heaven. And then Jesus was talking with Peter and the disciples. And Peter said, we've left everything to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no one has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age, in the age to come, eternal life. You see, God has a reward for the righteous. He says that, I tell you, anyone who gives even a cup of cold water in my name because you belong to Jesus Christ, will certainly not lose his reward. So what have we said so far in our series? We've said that heaven is a real place with a real savior, with real people. And um, heaven is your destination, and I want you to be ready. So when we get to heaven, by putting our faith in Jesus, we'll either get there when we die and go to heaven, or we'll be raptured and never die. And I want you to be rapture ready. Now, once believers are raptured out, once the dead in Christ are raised and we're, we meet the Lord in the air, the Bible teaches us we'll be judged for our works. We will stand before the bema seat of Christ to be judged. Romans 
10 says, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? That each one of us is going to stand before God and give an account. The, the whole context of that Romans 14 is don't judge your brother for what he eats or doesn't eat, for he's going to stand before God. So each one of us is responsible for our own lives. Then 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due us. So the Bema seat of Christ isn't an evaluation of whether we have done enough good works to get into heaven. Many people believe that to get into heaven, they have to do enough good works in order to earn the favor of God. Some believe that if you've done enough good, he'll let you in. If you haven't done enough good, the door is closed. Now, that is absolute error. Those who have trusted in Christ will never face our sin. When Christ died on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is behind us. It's over. He gave himself to deliver us from this evil age. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you accept Jesus as your Savior, all your past, present, and future sins are included. His blood covers all your sin. You won't have to stand before God and answer for your sin. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. The judgment seat of Christ does not have to do with sin. It has to do with service. Have I stewarded my life well? We don't do works to get saved. We do works because we are saved. Ephesians says it like this, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody could boast. If we could get into heaven by our good works, we could boast about how good we are. But since we can't get into heaven by our good works, we'll boast in what Jesus Christ has done for us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when we are doing these works, these are things that God's given us, assignments he's given that we do to honor Christ. Okay. So what does the Bible have to say about awards? First off, there is what's known as the victor's crown, the incorruptible crown found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. This is what Paul writes. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one of the runners gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown, a Stephanos, a corruptible crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The Greeks love their athletic festivals, just like we love the Olympics. The story is told about the Greeks and the Persians in a battle, and a runner ran from the city of Marathon to Athens to say that we won the war, and then the runner fell dead. And every four years, they held the Olympic Games, and the most coveted prize was the marathon. Athletes would go into training for some months before the race. They would govern what they ate. They would govern what time they went to bed. 
And Paul would have seen these athletes training, their self-control, their discipline. And he would see the athletes come to the starting line and then saw how much effort they put into the race. And then there'd be this winner. And the winner would be given a laurel wreath. The laurel wreath would only last a few days. So his argument is, if athletes train so hard for a temporary crown, shouldn't we train for a crown that will last forever? You see, an Olympic marathoner has to develop endurance and strength to run a marathon by training, by taking long runs and doing speed work and strength training. They usually have a coach, and the coach pushes them to do their very, very best. His argument is that a Christian should be characterized by self-control and by self-discipline. There's just times when you need to turn off that television. There's times when you need to get up when you don't feel like getting up. There's times when you need to say no to yourself and to your physical appetites that you can say yes to God. You see, most people I know are slaves to their bodies. Their bodies tell them what to eat and how much to eat. But an athlete that has discipline goes to bed at a good time, eats a balanced diet when they prefer to eat a chocolate sundae, that gets up to train. Because what characterizes them is discipline, self-control, because they are moving toward this victor's crown. Paul said it this way, forgetting what lies behind me and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, what Paul really wanted to receive was when his life was over was the crown of God, that God would crown him with an incorruptible crown. He saw these runners that ran so hard and trained so hard and their laurel wreath would only last a few days. But this was a crown that would last him forever and ever given by God himself. So the first crown mentioned is the victor's crown. Secondly, there's the crown of rejoicing. This is also called the soul winner's crown. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. The question is, for what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? For you are our glory and you are our joy. Paul knew that Jesus was going to return. He believed in the imminent return of Christ. It could happen at any moment. He knew he would stand before God and give an account for his life. But he also knew that all believers would also be there. That we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our life. And what gave him hope, a sure confidence, was these believers and how they were living out their faith. You see, when Paul came to town, these people were pagans, and they turned from their paganism to follow after Christ. And he says, night and day I'm praying for you, for your faithful work, your loving service, your enduring hope. You see, this is called the soul winner's crown because there will be people in heaven because of you. We have been so radically loved by God. We can't keep this radical love of God to ourselves, And we feel compelled to share this love with others. 
Paul felt this burning passion to take the gospel to people who'd never heard it before. Some of you will be crowned with this soul winner's crown. And then thirdly, there is the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Paul says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. Now that word departure is a very pregnant word with meaning. It has to do with a soldier that has soldiered it out in this life. And they're beginning to break down their tent and the tent is moving on, they're departing. It has to do with a ship that's been moored in a dock and now this ship is heading out to sea. What Paul said is, I have fought the good fight, meaning that I've been in a contest. I felt the temptations in my life. I felt the pressures from the outside. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. There's the word, crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me on that day. But not only to me, but all those who have longed for his appearing. Paul is confident that he is going to meet the Lord. He's sure of his own imminent death and he's confident of his reward. Where is he? Well, as Paul writes this letter of 2 Timothy, he's in a prison. It's a dark, damp prison. It's called the Mamertine Prison in Rome. If you've ever visited Rome, you can see the very place where Paul was imprisoned. Just a concrete floor with a hole and you have to take a ladder down to where he was imprisoned. There were no windows in that room. There was no light in that room. Just a dark, damp place. He's been accused of crimes he didn't do. Nero, the ruler then, accused Paul and the Christians of burning down Rome. Nero himself had the city burned. So Paul was going to be executed for this upon false charges. But what he realizes is when God judges him, God is a righteous judge and he will receive the crown of righteousness. You see, there's coming a day, a judgment day, when all the wrongs will be made right and all the injustices will be dealt with. And the crown of righteousness, this reward will be given to all those who've loved his appearing, who've longed for his appearing when I hear about what happened in Pensacola, when I see what's happening in our schools, our streets, what happened in Newark, it is so far from what God ever intended. I so long for the return of Christ to make right what is so wrong in our world. He longed for this crown of righteousness, for the righteous king to sit upon the throne. And then he, fourthly, there's the crown of life. This is what it says in James. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the woman who perseveres with great trial. Blessed is the child who perseveres with the debilitating disease. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. For when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Trials, difficulties, adversities 
will be part of this life. Many would teach that the prosperity gospel, which teaches that prosperity is only given to believers, that there are no difficulties, afflictions, trials in this life. Jesus said that in this world you will face your share of tribulation. Peter said, don't be surprised at the various trials that come into your life. Think about Joseph who was put into prison. He was accused falsely, forgotten in prison. Think about Job and all of his losses. Difficulties, afflictions, trials will come into the life of a believer. But God uses these trials in our life to mature us, to drive us to him in prayer, to strengthen us and strip us of our pride. You see, in the midst of trials, God calls us to persevere in this life. And the reward is, in the next life, he will reward us with the crown of life because we love him. And the fifth of these beautiful crowns is one I'm pretty excited about. It's the preacher's crown. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, he will appear with the crown of glory that will never fade away. We're talking here about shepherding people. Now, you don't have to be a pastor or preacher. You may shepherd people in your family or your small group. This isn't about being a Christian because all believers will be there at the Bema seat. He's saying the Lord himself will be your greatest reward. That's what he said to Abram. He says, don't be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield and your very great reward. The greatest reward of heaven will be Jesus himself. But he says to us in this life, he says, don't, you know, sound the trumpet when you give your gifts to the poor. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. You see, there's things that everybody knows about and there's things that nobody knows about besides God. And God will reward you, reward you for the things seen and unseen, the things visible and invisible, the things you do that nobody on this earth knows anything about. He will ultimately reward his children. So let's go now to this passage in Revelation chapter 4 and verses 9 and following to see what happens with these rewards. He says, whenever the living creatures, these living creatures that surround the very throne of God, whenever these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks, there's coming a day when God will get the glory that he deserves. There's coming a day when God will be honored like he deserves to be honored. There's coming a day when we'll give him thanks for all he is and all he has done. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, God is sitting on the throne. He has never renounced his throne. He's on the throne of heaven. Who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. You see, kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go. And kings will sit upon their throne for a while. But there's going to be a king, the king of all kings, who will live forever and ever. He will be on this throne receiving praise, 
glory and honor forever and ever. And when the living beings begin to praise him, and then the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, what do they do? They lay their crowns before his feet. They lay their crowns at the feet of God. They realize they are so unworthy. God, you have been so good to us. I just want to thank you, Lord. I just want to worship you, Lord. I just want to magnify you, Lord. I just want to magnify your name. There's just sometimes when the church has got to yell, hallelujah, God has been gracious to me. You know, if he's been good to you, sometimes you just need to clap your hands. And sometimes you just need to raise your voice. And sometimes you just need to celebrate how good God has been. And this is happening in heaven all the time. They're giving glory and praise and honor to him upon the throne. And when this happens, what happens, this beautiful scene is they begin to lay down their crowns at the feet of God. It's a passionate scene. And then this is what they say. You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. You are the creator. And by your will, they were created and they have their being. God, you have made us. And God, you have sustained us. We have our very being in you. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to praise the Lord and give him the glory he deserves. There was a, a couple, and they had been serving the Lord. They had gone to Africa, and when they went to Africa, they poured out their lives for God. But now they boarded a ship, and they were sailing home. And uh, really, they were pretty much unrecognized on the ship, unnoticed, but also on board the ship was Teddy Roosevelt, who had gone on a, uh, a game hunting trip to Africa to chase after wild game. So when he came, there was a big band playing for him. The reporters came out to greet him. The mayor came to shake his hand, but no one noticed this couple either on the ship or as they left the ship. And the man was feeling pretty depressed about the whole scene because the president was noticed, but his, he was unnoticed. And he went to his little flat in east side of New York. And he was really feeling, really feeling disillusioned. And his wife said, honey, you need to go and pray. Now, if you have a wife like that, you've got a good wife. He says, honey, you need to pray. So he went into his room and he came back with a big smile on his face. And she said, what happened to you? And he said, the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and he said, you aren't home yet. There's all kinds of rewards in this world. Country music awards, someday seek. The soap opera digest. The Grammys, the Tonys, the Dove Award. But there's awards that you will never get on this side. There's awards that are waiting for you on that side. And when you are bestowed these awards, these crowns, what happens is 
we lay them at the feet of Jesus because he's worthy to receive all praise and honor and glory. Pray with me. Father, in this room are our people that have labored hard for your kingdom. They have given and given and given, perhaps without acknowledgement. God, you see all things. There's nothing hidden from your sight. You see the mom that wakens in the middle of the night to care for a child. You see the man who resists temptation when it was so easy to step into it. You see the struggles that we face in this life. Some of us face those strangles, singles, and struggles in our singlehood, some in our married lives, some past being married. You're a God who ultimately rewards us according to what we have done. You're a gracious God and you're fair. Perhaps someone here is facing a huge trial now and they need to hear a word of encouragement to persevere in that trial. Maybe it's a student who's struggling in that assignment of school. Maybe it's at work. There's some issues there. Maybe it has to do with health, a really tough diagnosis we've heard. God, you call us to persevere, and we can only persevere if you give us the grace to persevere. So we pray, Lord, for an outpouring of your grace upon your people, a measure of strength and wisdom to be able to endure what we're going through, but to have a great attitude, Lord, of trusting you in the midst of it that ultimately all things will be rewarded. Father, would you hear the prayers of your people as we pray, as we praise you, Lord, as we give you some praise for being the king of glory. God, we want to just let our hearts release this morning in your presence, not holding back, of giving you, God, everything you deserve, giving you the highest praise because you are the most high God. There is none higher than you. There is no equal to you. There is no rival to you, God. You are the most high God worthy of the most honor. We, your people here on this earth, just want to give you all that you deserve. Help us to praise you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. there really is a heaven. <laughs> the Bible says there really is a heaven. It affects how we live here upon this earth. We're to set our affections on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He means everything to me. What he says means everything to me. What he has in store means everything to me. You see, if there's no heaven, we can just live any way we like to live on this earth. But if there's a heaven, we're held to account for how we live our lives here. I want to live the very best life possible here because there's rewards there. So it's okay to be heavenly minded. It's been said, you know, a person who's heavenly minded is no earthly good. I believe the person who's heavenly minded is the most earthly good because Christians are thinking about heaven and what God wants for us and has for us so we live our lives well let heaven become part of your thinking process. It's good for you to think about heaven and all that God has in store for us.
lives. Pray with me. Father, you are the King of glory and the gates of heaven will swing open and we will see Jesus face to face and the redeemed who already are there, the homecoming people. And we will be given the crowns for our earthly journey here, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of joy and hope. You'll give these crowns to us. And we'll take these crowns and put them at your feet because you are deserving of all honor. For all you have done for us, all that you are, we honor you, God, here on this earth, knowing that we will honor you also in heaven. Would you give us joy this week, Lord, as we endeavor to serve you? Help us be about good things in people's lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. We'll see you next week.